This week's program is not intended for young listeners. This week on Missions Today. It was, it was almost driving me crazy. It's all I thought about night and day. And so that's when I started looking up. I started to have this idea, what if I had been the man? And I started, I was in a horrible relationship at the time. And I just, I started sort of reversing the roles in my head. And what if I was the man? What if I know how I would treat a girl if I had a girlfriend? So I, I literally looked up in Google, girl becoming a boy, just to see if anyone had these thoughts. I thought it was crazy. Crazy, chaotic, unimaginable. Just a few of the words we could easily use to describe our culture today. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, today's content is not meant for young listeners. That said, the topic and information today is critical for parents and churches to hear and to understand. My guest today is Laura Perry Smaltz. Born a girl, Laura lived nine years as a male named Jake. Today, you'll hear some of the elements that moved her that direction, and more importantly, how Christ stepped into her life to change her story. Laura is co-founder of Eden's Redemption, a new ministry seeking to educate parents and the church about this cultural phenomenon. Laura, thanks so much for your time today being with us here on Missions Today. Take just a moment, tell us a little bit about Eden's Redemption. Sure, I've actually uh, co-founded it with my husband and it's a ministry, primarily our heart really is to teach and equip the church on how to talk about gender and sexuality from a biblical perspective. And in teaching gender, one of my hopes is to help young people before they embrace these lifestyles and these identities and to help them sort through and understand their gender confusion. I think anybody who's been in the church recently, probably almost any church of any denomination, will know two things. Number one, uh, we're dealing with this as a culture, but number two, many, many, many churches across the country just either have not dealt with it or are not really sure how to deal with it other than saying it's wrong, Right. but very little other help or experience. So I'm thrilled about what you all are doing with Eden's Redemption. And we're going to come back to some of the specifics of how you're helping the church. But I think it's important that we establish the foundation, and that foundation really comes from your own life experience. Can you start back at the beginning and tell us a little bit about your experience? You lived nine years as a transgender male, and tell us about how that began, where you first began to have those feelings and 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 where you feel like it came from. And then we'll get to kind of that moment of life change that happened with you. But I think it's important that we hear, how did it start as you were a child or a young person? Yeah, you know, it started, I, I grew up in a Christian home. We were one of those families that was there every time the door was open, very typical American Christian family, you know, not a lot of severe trauma from, you know, what some people might compare it to, but just a lot of confusion, a lot of lies, I believed, and really was very, very jealous of my brother. It started very early in life, misunderstanding the relationship with my mom, who, you know, a child doesn't have the same perspective as an adult does. In fact, uh, the Lord gave me kind of an analogy the other day, you know, like when a, a three or four year old's looking up at their dad, he seems like Superman. He's so big, you know, and it's kind of that we have that same perspective sometimes with things we go through that a child can't understand. So I didn't understand, of course, my mom's own brokenness, the struggles she was going through. And she was trying so hard to be the perfect Christian, but she was kind of burned out and stressed out. And But I began to interpret it 
as mom didn't want me around. She didn't love me as much as my brother. There was a lot more to it, but but that was where some of those early lies started to creep in. And as a result, I really kind of cut my mom off emotionally, kind of built walls, didn't want her in, and spent all my time with my dad and my brother. And then it was hard to relate to the girls at school. And I remember being teased sometimes and being made to feel like I was different than the other girls. And some of it was external from things people said, and some of it was my own internal battle. But I think I just never felt like I fit in as a girl. And this is so foundational to understand because most kids that I've talked to that have dealt with gender and sexuality don't feel like they fit in with their own sex. And I think this is a lie from the enemy that we just believe, but it gets compounded over time. And I was molested by another boy when I was eight years old. I remember feeling like boys had all the power. And I was just like, I remember at eight years old feeling like girls were just used and then thrown away like trash, you know. But then when I was 14, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. So this body that I didn't want in the first place, I didn't want to be a girl. Then I was experiencing constant excruciating pain all the time. And then I was, I was told I would likely never get pregnant. And so I began to get very angry at God for making me a girl that I didn't want to be in the first place. Didn't feel like I fit in with the girls. And then this body wasn't working right. But I'd never heard the word transgender. I'd, I'd never heard the concept of somebody tr changing genders. So I really tried to find love in all the wrong places, began to get in a lot of sexual sin, trying so hard to get a man to say that I had value. But I didn't understand that I was the one telling them I had no value. I was the one giving myself away for free. I was the one devaluing myself. And uh, that's something important that I want to teach young people, that it's important to see your, what, yourself the way that God sees you and to protect yourself. You know, when you give yourself away for free, you're saying that you're not worth anything, you know. But as a result, I, I was used, I was abused, I was rejected and dumped over and over and over again and just treated like trash. And I begin to think the reason that I'm never happy, the reason that I'm never finding love in these relationships is because I was supposed to be the man. If I was the man, I know how to treat a woman. And so I begin to fantasize about those things. And that's when I discovered this whole world of transgender. And once I discovered that this was like a real thing, I just went into this with, with every, you know, every ounce of energy and all my money and time. And the more that I begin to transition, I begin to take hormones and made legal changes, began to get, you know, all my documentation and credit cards and all those things changed over and had a job where they affirmed me as male. And the more that I transitioned, the more that it seemed to be making it real. But there was this nagging feeling at the same time that this was all fake because I knew I was injecting myself artificially. But then it's like, but every little step, you know, now I'm growing facial hair and my voice is getting lower and I'm growing body hair. And, and yet I'm aware that this is artificial, but it, it's sort of like it never, it never got there. No matter what I did, I couldn't erase my past. I couldn't erase the reality of who I was. And I didn't understand that incredible design God has made of male and female. You know, so I didn't understand why, no matter what I did, no matter how male I looked, no matter how much people affirmed me, no matter how many people around me I had that believed it, I knew inside that I was not really a man. And despite the fact that I had um, breast, my breast removed and I had a hysterectomy and I had the ovaries removed, but none of this ever took the dysphoria away. And so I kind of realized in horror one day that this was not ever going to be real, no matter how many people believed it. There was something fundamentally different 
that I couldn't put my finger on that I didn't understand at the time. But I began to just know that this was not real. But in that, but in that time, the Lord had been pursuing me. And really, when I didn't want to be pursued at all, I didn't want Jesus. You know, I'd grown up hearing it all my life. I had rejected it. I didn't want to be a Christian. But God just began to reveal himself to me through a variety of different things. Things I heard on the radio, things people shared with me through my parents and different, just a lot of different places. I ended up at a job where my boss was a Christian. And just as the Lord, you know, he began to reveal himself to me. I began to want God in a way I never had. And I began to see it, a radical transformation of my mom. She went from what self-described, she will tell you this in her own testimony, that she was kind of this legalistic Pharisee. But as she began to allow the Holy Spirit to work in her life and she got transformed, I began to want what she had. And that was such a huge testimony to me. And I gave my life to the Lord. I got radically saved. And I thought I was, but I thought I was going to be a man of God. And the Lord did genuinely change me. I remember I, I knew that I was completely changed, that I had a new heart. I had new desires, but it took time for me to be willing to lay it all down for Christ. Because I didn't, I thought I was stuck there. I didn't know that I could get beyond that. I didn't know that I could come out of that lifestyle. It felt like it was too little, too late, you know, like, sorry, God, I know this wasn't your will, but I'm stuck this way. Now I'm going to be a man of God. But he kept convicting me over and over and over and over and just drawing me little by little until I knew that he was asking me to just walk away from it all. I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't know how to detransition. I didn't even know any other detransitioners. All I knew was that the Lord asked me to walk away from it all. And he reminded me in Matthew 16, verse 24 through 26, it says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it. Loses his life for my sake shall find it. For was it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? And so that's really what um, I really just walked away from it with. I had no clue how any of this would work out, but I knew that I wanted to follow Jesus. And I've been amazed as he's absolutely transformed my life beyond anything I ever could have imagined. And it was like little by little, he peeled away the layers of the onion. You know, as I began to forgive my mom, as I began to forgive those that had hurt me, as I began to repent of all the sexual sin, you know, as everything sort of, he just peeled things off little by little. And I found myself being a little more comfortable. And then at one point being okay with being female. And then, you know, it was this progression but I also had to take steps of faith. I meet so many people um, who want to detransition. And most of the time they tell me, well, if God will change my feelings, then I will, then I'll detransition. And they pray and they pray for God to take it away. But I had to take steps of faith and say, okay, Lord, I'm willing to do this, even though this is not what I feel. I'm willing to walk away. And that's when God began to transform me. And then, of course, he brought this amazing husband into my life. Uh, we were married about two years ago. And it has been an incredible journey to see how much God has changed me and transformed me beyond anything I ever imagined was possible. Such a powerful story. We're going to touch on some individual pieces of this, but I want to go back to a, a moment during your transition time. You talked about really not even having a concept of the transgender community or options, if you will, but you began to walk down that road. Can you tell us what it was that you found there that you were looking for? What was it that drew you? What were you seeing? What were you hearing that pulled you that direction? Yeah, it started really with pornography. I had an extreme pornography addiction and it was never enough. 
because I was fantasizing about these things, pornography, but I had no way to act it out. And so it became extremely frustrating. And then I started getting into virtual sex games where I could um, sort of virtually be this male character. So after I'd been in pornography a long time, but especially those last six months or so that I was really fantasizing about being a man, it was it was almost driving me crazy. It's all I thought about night and day. And so that's when I started looking up. I started to have this idea, what if I had been the man? And I started, I was in a horrible relationship at the time. And I just, I started sort of reversing the roles in my head. And what if I was the man? What if I know how I would treat a girl if I had a girlfriend? So I, I literally looked up in Google, girl becoming a boy, just to see if anyone had these thoughts. I thought it was crazy. I was shocked when thousands of results came up. And then I went to, uh, I found a support group. Uh, it just came up in the Google results. I found the support group in Tulsa for people that were transgender. And I went and then in the first meeting, within five minutes, they were like, oh, you are definitely transgender. And that's really what kind of hooked me. I was like, oh, even these people recognize that I'm trans. But I didn't realize they were all trans. There was no other outside person that was objectively helping anybody. It was just all trans people. And of course, they're going to affirm each other because that's what we're all wanting. And so we all affirmed and encouraged each other. I want to move forward now to when the Lord began to make some changes in your life. You be, you said you really had no desire to serve Jesus or follow Jesus, but slowly he began breaking that wall down. What were the elements that led to that? How did that happen? Yeah, it was a series of uh, of different things. I, I Radio had a huge influence on me. Oddly, my partner at the time, he was a male to female transgender, but he was a really pretty radical conservative Republican. And not that, you know, not to get into politics here, but what I was so convinced of different beliefs because my parents were um, really conservative and Christian and all of that. And I wanted the opposite of whatever they had, but I didn't know why I believed what I believed. I was voting for people and I had no idea what they stood for. So as we had those conversations, it just started with me listening to talk radio and trying to understand their side. But as I did, once in a while, they would talk about God. And it was just these little seeds that God was planting over time. And after years of listening to these things, God would bring more and more Christian content over the radio that I would hear. I also ended up at a job where my boss was a Christian. I, I knew that there was, she wasn't even like actively trying to witness necessarily, but there was something different about her. And I knew that she was a Christian. She talked about church and occasionally about God and these things. But one of the most profound things was the difference in my parents. They were so transformed throughout this process that I lived as trans. It really forced them to, to seek the Lord in a whole new way. And as they begin to really humble themselves and surrender themselves to the power of the Holy Spirit and let him change them, that was, that was what was so profound. Because when I saw that change in my mom, I knew the gospel was true. Like Christ is alive. This isn't just some religion. This isn't just a, a book of rules. Like, there's something real and alive. I think part of your story you've mentioned has to do with uh, helping your mom in her Bible study. Talk mm -hmm. a little about that. A lot of people, when I first started telling this story, they, they said, oh, Francine, you figured out like the perfect way to help her. My mom had, she had tried to fix me for so many years and she had really surrendered me into the Lord's hands. She had no idea God was going to use this. She honestly just needed a website. She was teaching a Bible study. And it wasn't even her idea to do the website. It was growing so much and they didn't want to miss the Bible study. They wanted her to record it. And she knew that I did websites. She knew I needed some extra money. So she paid me to do the website. 
but then I had this idea that I would summarize the lessons for the website just for on like a little paragraph or two. So I was just skimming it, looking for a quote or something, something I could pull out to put on the website and things started jumping out at me. And I remember reading things I'd never heard in the word before. And then I was working on, uh, initially it was just audio. And so as I was trying to get these things working on the website, I had to listen to bits and pieces over and over and over again and trying to get it to work. And so the Lord just began, I know it was God and he just began to speak to me. And as I got curious about, it was just curious at first. So I started calling my mom and asking her questions about things she was studying because I'd never heard some of these things. I, I just began to get hunger for the word of God. That's an incredible story. And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment, but I want to make sure we get in all the information we need to about Eden's redemption. You mentioned finding a great man and getting married. Congratulations on that. And you two together have founded this organization, Eden's Redemption. Let's go a little deeper with that. Tell us a little more about practically what the work you're doing, how that plays out day to day in churches or in people's lives. Yeah, we, we've we really just started. We opened uh, last month, but I, I've been doing similar things for the last several years. I've been going around the country. Uh, I was mainly sharing my testimony, but over the last several years, God has taught me an incredible amount about gender and sexuality. And so I started developing some teachings. So this ministry specifically is focused on a lot of travel and speaking and equipping churches there in person. We're already lined up to speak at quite a few different churches, and um, we're going to be at the Ark Encounter this year with Answers in Genesis, and a lot of cool opportunities that God is bringing. But we also want to develop lots of resources. So we're just working on some of this. Um, We do have a website up where we've linked to quite a few different things, but that's something we're going to be doing more and more. I'm also planning on making videos. We want to do like Q&A videos. I've I've realized that I do Q&As most of the times I go speak, and we do that about two or three times a month, and we get a lot of the same questions that people are asking. So I'm going to start making some videos of that. We're starting a podcast here, hopefully in the next few days. So we've got a lot coming, but we've really just opened. But what we do have is these teachings that we've developed. I've got some sample teachings on our website at edensredemption.org. So if you want to go and listen to those, you want to bring us to our to your church, let us know, contact us, and we'd be glad to set something up. But we do have plans for a lot more resources in the future. And just real quick, one of the things that I've discovered is I had so many people reaching out telling me that there were no resources out there and they were frustrated because they wanted to get equipped and they were, there were no resources out there. But over the last several years, I've re- there are lots and lots and lots of resources out there. It's just not well organized. And so that's that's one of our goals is to uh, link people to lots of resources. So keep checking back with us because we have a lot coming. Again, it's a very new ministry, but one that is so important in today's culture. And again, we'll link you there in today's program and podcast notes. I want to go back just for a moment to your story as well because I think it does play into that Q&A, and I'm sure some of this you'll recognize. But if I remember the story right, your mother never stopped calling you by your given name. Is that correct? And and is that something that we ought to think about as we engage with family members or relatives? Does it matter at all? Yeah, actually, this is a really important topic. I do have a blog about this on our website at edensredemption.org. I also just, it reminded me, I have an um, an old blog that I'm going to keep open um, called transgendertotransformed.com, and I have some things I've written there as well. This blog that I've written, and we'll give you a much longer explanation of this, but just to highlight a few points, 
my parents never called me Jake. The name that I went by, it was my, my legal name was Jacob. But also, they didn't call me Laura most of the time. A lot of times they would call me honey or sweetie, something like that. But there were times that they would call me Laura. And it would make me mad. But the truth was, I was mad because I didn't want to hear it. Um, I didn't want to be reminded of the truth. I really wasn't angry at them. I blamed them and I would tell them I was angry at them, but I was really just trying to silence that voice of my conscience. Like in Romans 1, it talks about how people suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And that's what I was suppressing the truth all the time. I was so aware of the truth, but I, w I didn't want to hear the truth. But in that, even though I was angry at my parents at times, it was like this tethered reality that wouldn't let me forget who I was. As God began drawing me, the Lord began to call me Laura. And I didn't like that very much, but I could hear the Lord calling me Laura, you know, not audibly, but just in my spirit as I was praying. And then I did a lot of research. And as I asked the Lord, I began, I said, God, I need a biblical defense for this. I know what you've told me. There were times that the Lord would talk to me about my name and who he created me to be. But in the story of Ruth and Naomi, Naomi, and it's, you know, obviously Naomi was not transgender, but this is important to understand because Naomi means pleasant. And when she came back to Bethlehem, she was angry and bitter at the Lord. She blamed God for her problems, just like the most people that live as transgender. This really is a rejection of self and a rejection of God, hating who God created because of things that have happened in our life. There's a huge connection to bitterness and to, uh, to jealousy, to unforgiveness, some of the same attitudes. And she's bitter and angry with the Lord because the Lord took away her husband and her sons. And she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. And Mara is the opposite of Naomi, meaning, and, but the next verse calls her Naomi. And the Bible goes on another 11 times after that, 12 times after she says, call me Mara. The Bible calls her Naomi. It doesn't once call her Mara. And the Lord showed me that and showed me how he continued to call her Naomi even after she didn't want to be called Naomi because she no longer felt pleasant. But the, that's still who the Lord created her to be. And in the end, God completely restores her life. She didn't know what was coming and the joy she would have. And in fact, in the end of the story, it calls Ruth's son, Obed, calls him Naomi's son. And so it's such a picture of restoration and redemption, despite the fact that she didn't want to be who God created her to be because she was angry. Two final questions for you, uh, both related to prayer. First, for the family, parent, grandparent, brother, sister of somebody who's dealing with this issue, thoughts, ideas about how to pray for them. And then uh, finally, just uh, share with us how we might pray for you and your husband and Eden's redemption. Prayer is such an important part of this. I know I would not be here if it weren't for prayer. Definitely be praying for your loved ones. In fact, there is a, a book that I would recommend. There's one that my mom and myself and another friend of ours um, named Carolyn wrote, and it's called The Prodigal Prayer Guide. You can get it at my old website at transgendertotransform.com. You can order it from my website. There's also a free PDF version if you want. But anyway, this book just kind of walks you through prayers that are written out based on scripture, really praying the word over your children. But I would also recommend finding a group, and I can connect you. If you'll contact me, go to edensredemption.org, contact me. I know quite a few different parents groups. They also include loved ones. There's cousins, siblings, other people in there as well. We want to get you connected to a support group and also be praying for their children. And But here's what my prayer is for each of these parents or grandparents listening, 
is to allow the Lord to work in you. And that humility and saying, God, I'm the one in need of prayer. Change me, and then God will use you. Sometimes these parents don't hear from their kids for years, but God will bring someone else into their life that really needs the gospel, that needs their, their love and their, their time or whatever it may be. And so God may have someone else that you can minister to in the meantime, and then he will bring someone else into your child's life. But how you can be praying for my husband and I, please pray for my husband and I that God will help us to get everything set up in this ministry and to get the resources link that we're wanting and to start this podcast. There has been an incredible amount of warfare and uh, I'm dealing with some health problems and just uh, it's, you know, we know the enemy does not want this out there. You can often tell when the enemy is active. There are good godly things happening in people's lives and he just doesn't like it. Laura and her husband have just begun this ministry, though, as you heard, Laura has been sharing her story around the country for a number of years now. Understand, this issue will not be going away anytime soon. And we, as followers of Christ, need to be informed and equipped to answer the questions that our friends and family have about this challenging problem. For more information about Laura or Eden's redemption, be sure to check out the links in today's podcast notes. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're gonna hear from a woman who's helping mobilize people to reach the least reached people groups in Africa. It's always helpful if you subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't yet, subscribe, hit that little bell so you know every time a new one is out. Be sure to rate each episode you listen to and be sure to leave a review on iTunes. That is so helpful. If you have feedback for me or a guest idea, I'd love to hear from you email me at clambert at missionstoday.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Missions Today Radio. Missions Today is a production of Resource Global.